Hello everyone, today I'm talking to Kevin Saunders and Colin McComb of In Exile and they're working on the spiritual successor to one of my favourite games of all time and that was Planescape Torment. This game is called Torment Tides of Numenera. This was a game that had an incredibly successful Kickstarter with some massive fans of Planescape Torment coming forward with huge sums of money uh, to help it raise just over 4 million quid. So, as you might expect, there's rather a lot of expectation when it comes to this title. And the original Torment fans are certainly not the least demanding of audiences. Although, thus far, it seems that In Exile are handling themselves pretty well. So, without further ado, let's talk to Kevin and Colin. So, if you want to start off, uh, just kind of introduce yourselves, um, mention your role on um, on the new Torment game, and maybe mention some of the, the games that you've worked on in the past and the things you've been known for. Uh, sure, I guess uh, I'll start. I'm, I'm Colin McComb. I'm the creative lead for Torment Ties of Numenera, uh, and... I guess I am probably best known for being one of the designers on Planescape Torment. I also worked on Wasteland 2 and Fallout 2. Uh, those and, are the big ones. And, well, you also worked at TSR for a while and developed well, the Planescape. Okay. Uh, That's true. I was one of the uh, one of the primary designers on the Planescape setting uh, after Zeb Cook left. I uh, co-created the Birthright campaign setting. I've done just a pile of work for Paizo and TSR and Cobalt Press and a bunch of tabletop stuff as well. And I'm, I'm Kevin Saunders. I'm the project director for Torment. Uh, I worked on Shattered Galaxy, which was a massively multiplayer real-time strategy game um, about 15 years ago. And after working on MMOs for a while, I worked on Command & Conquer's Generals Zero Hour. And then was at Obsidian for a number of years, worked on most of their games uh, uh, up through Alpha Protocol. I was the lead designer and producer for Mask of the Betrayer, which is probably the work there that um, has been has been um, uh, most interesting to people. Um, then I worked in serious games for a while on some language learning role-playing games, and and now I'm here. Cool. Okay, um, so first of all, um, just talking about the, the world that... Uh, well, the world, the world that's... Um, Tides of Numenera is based in compared to the world that Planescape Torment was based in. So just comparing the worlds of like Numenera and Planescape, what would you say are the parallels between those two kind of universes, and how do you think that they differ? Uh, they're uh, they're pretty similar in that they're both just incredibly weird, very evocative settings that somehow have an instant, uh, I guess, an instant attachment for people. People understand basically right away what the world is trying to do. Um, you know, they're, they're both incredibly imaginative. I think that they're, you know, if I may be immodest, I think they're both extraordinarily cool as well. Um, the, the main difference is that, is that Planescape is built more around belief and around, uh, I guess, you know, wisdom and the, the exploration for, answers regarding the soul and the spirit, whereas Numenera is more about exploring the world around us, the world as it is. Uh, you know, they're, they're both incredibly available for, uh, for 
I guess, philosophical exploration, but one of them is more about doing and the other one is more about contemplating. Right. So on, but, on a, no, I, but, but neither of them is really about kill the monster and take its treasure. They're, they're both about, they're both about trying to understand your place in the world as you comprehend it at that point. Right. So, um, just talking about how the, how the games kind of feel, uh, and how the game kind of feels at this stage, I guess you, there's still a fair bit of work to be done on it if you, you're looking at quarter four release. Um, but just kind of thinking about the music and the setting and, and things like that, um, kind of how would you compare the feel of the, of the two games at this point and, um, and how the game maybe differs or how it's similar to, um, Planescape Torment? Uh, what we're, we're trying, uh, have you, uh, did you see the, see the video that we just recently put out, the world unlike any other video? The, the one where you ha- kind of show, uh, some of the different zones and there's a voiceover kind of describing them. So it's about a minute long. Well, yeah, um, one. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so that's uh, that's kind of what we're going for there. Uh, the the experience we're going for with our torment is less of the dark, grim, everything is rusty and falling apart kind of thing, and going more for a check this out. Isn't this a super cool, bright and colorful thing? Um, you know, we we don't want to do the solely grim, dark. Uh, crushing experience that a lot of uh, Planescape was, but at the same time we also want to convey the sense of incredible age. Uh, So while our colors are going to be bright and evocative uh, for many of our areas, we are also, we're also targeting, um, just lost my train of thought, Uh, we're we're also targeting to develop the the same sort of continuity of experience that, that Planescape Torment had in that we want to have incredibly weird uh, and varied stuff that people will go, holy crap, I never would have imagined that. And, and the, the content is is fairly dark at, um, a lot of the time in general. Um, but there, um, you know, when, when you have the combination of, of the strangeness of the world and the technology and, and people... Um, living at, at roughly a medieval level of, of their own native technology. Um, th- there's a lot of, of grim things that can, that can occur and we explore those. It's not, um, uh, you know, it's not always, uh, I guess we have a, a fairly realistic approach given the, the situation. Um, and, and we think a lot about how the characters would react and, and the situ in, in the different situations, uh, and and focus on that. Um, right. In, t- in terms of the the gameplay feel, I'd say if if anything, and this is something that that we've discussed a lot internally and are you know are still assessing as we go forward. But uh, if anything, we've gone more towards a literary game than than even Planescape was. All um, right. And and so so we have some concerns that. You know, if about about the pacing, if we're slowing things down too much, or if we're, or if we're, um, you know, de- demanding too much um, attention of, uh, from from the player in in you know being subtle about certain things instead of um, often in game development we we're kind of trained to to be very overt and to try to ap- appeal to the masses and make things um, accessible to to an extreme degree, and and while we want the game to to be accessible so that like anyone, you know, could, could get in, could get in and play it. Um, 
we've we've embraced the I guess, the the writing side of it and the the, the storytelling um, to to quite a degree. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the discussions that we were having recently is, well, is the player going to know this? And we're going to say, well, you know, in some cases, the player doesn't need to know this. You know, we can have the player infer it. We don't necessarily need to come right out and tell the player. Um, you know, we we want to we want we want our players to be active participants in this game and thinking about it and figuring out what it is that they are pulling away from the game and building in little verbal puzzles as well so that, you know, I, I, I guess not puzzles in the sense of you need to solve this, but in the sense of there's a greater mystery behind this that somebody who's just playing casually might miss, but somebody who's playing and carefully will say, hey, wow, I figured that out. I feel pretty smart now. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that was one of the big things about the original Torment that, um, Kind of, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why it had such great replayability. And you look at these old details that you didn't really see before and realize that there was a whole kind of, uh, a whole kind of mystery or even a kind of a quest and an item that you, that you just completely missed. Uh, and you, you kind of go back and you see it and it's all kind of there. It's almost when, uh, when you watch one of those films where everything gets revealed at the end and you watch it again and you realize the clues were there all, all throughout. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're, we're striving for that that type of that type of um, experience. Okay, so one of the things that I, uh, I I heard you talking about recently, Colin, was um, how you use kind of images um, as inspiration for kind of new zones. Uh, could you could you talk a bit about that? Um, a little bit, yeah. Like uh, I guess this is uh, from the from the talk I gave at uh, at Res. Um, they. Right. When we were uh, when we were developing the area called the Bloom, uh, I was just trying to think of an enormous, disgusting creature, um, and I wound up looking at like pictures of endoscopies and um, you know internal organs and so forth to just say, okay, what would it, what would it be like to be crawling through something that's enormous like this? Um, and I, I tend to do that a lot with other things I create is I, I, I look at something and then I have to think about, okay, well, if this were big or if this were ultra dimensional or if this thing were, you know, crackling with energy, like, I don't know, say uh, a house centipede, yeah. now, what would this look like if it were blown up to massive proportions? What would it be like? How would people react to this? Um, and it's just essentially adding, adding details onto these pictures and then turning it into something else and then bending it through you know, bending it through some imagination loops, and the next thing you know, you've got some place that people are going to be like, holy crap, I'm crawling through the belly of this giant beast, and it's absolutely disgusting. And hopefully what this results in is that we have just an incredibly, I'm saying incredibly a lot, that we have this evocative experience that people understand fully what it is to be involved with these things. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if you again thinking back to uh, the original torment, the kind of the, the the kind of weirdness of the world extended uh, even to the point of the the items that you would use. Now, remember, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't just go around picking up like a sword plus one or whatever. Uh, instead, the kind of items you'd have would be like uh, there was like a bag of teeth uh, that seemed to have a mind of their own, or there's like these strange earrings and magic chocolate and things like that. Have you kept with that kind of style of, uh, of pickups and, and items in the game? Yeah, the the Numenera setting. So 
so Numenera actually in the game world is is a word that refers to all of the um all of the the technology and and other uh artifacts from all the past civilizations. Um and by civilizations we don't mean it's not in the sense of like the Egyptian civilization. It's it's like a billion years, it's the earth a billion years in the future. And and so um so like all of all of mankind that as we know today would even be less accomplished than one of the, the eight um worlds preceding the, the ninth world, which is where, where we are in, in Numenera. Uh so so Numenera the, the game is named after basically these items, which can range from from nanobots to to uh to large large devices. Um and so we've embrace that through the setting as well. Um, for example, there's uh, there are a couple of different types of items in in Numenera. One is one is ciphers, which are one use items. So like potions or scrolls in D and D. But the main catch with them is they don't behave well if you have a lot of them in one place, uh, and you start to have um, negative side effects. I guess you could think of it sort of like. Uh, like like radiation perhaps or something, and and so you're encouraged. The players are encouraged to use these one shot items instead of hoarding all of them throughout the game. Right. Um, so it's an interesting design approach that Monty Cook took with the cipher system, and that that um, that we're exploring in Torment. And then there's, there's another class, classification of items that are called oddities, and and they by design don't really do anything. They're just sort of interesting, um, uh, and so. So we have oddities in the game, and so like you might find an item where you you use it, and and then you have a vision that shows um, shows you using it, and you see little creatures capering and playing around you, uh, and you can hear and and touch them, but no one else can see them. And this would be done through a scripted interaction, a, a conversation essentially in the game, and and it doesn't. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't kill any monsters. It's just it's just interesting. And, and some of these will will just be flavor. Some of some things like this will there'll be at least some some information that you can glean. Um, and then for for the more traditional type of item like like weapons, say uh, there's a lot of variety there too. Uh, like we have one projectile weapon that instead of shooting projectiles, what it does is it compresses some of your your blood or internal organs into a projectile and then sucks it out of the the victim. Um so it's like a sort of a backwards gun uh, visually. Um and so we're we're exploring different um you know we want we want the items to 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 capture the the setting as as Colin was talking earlier. Right. Yeah, it sounds good. Um, like uh, one of the things I remember about uh, Planescape Tournament again is the um, you, you'd come across a lot of very philosophical uh, NPCs in the game. Uh, some of my particular favourite areas include the Society of Sensations and the Brotherhood of Intellectual Lusts. Um, do you have any areas like that in Numenera? Have you kind of kept with that kind of theme of uh, these kind of deeply philosophical NPCs? Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, uh, we're I, we've the the main question of the game is what does one life matter? And there's going to be people who are talking about that. I'm not you know coming around right out and saying what does one life matter? Why don't you tell me? Um, but they're going they're they're going to be talking about you know 
what it is that they're doing, what they believe in, uh, you know, why they think that what they're doing is important. Uh, and they will essentially hold themselves up as a mirror to the player to find out what the player thinks, uh, you know, what the player's legacy is going to be in, in his or her actions. Um, you know, uh, to, to work on this, I've actually been talking to people who are involved in all sorts of different endeavors and I'm just, I'm, I'm asking them, why is it that you are doing what you do? Do you think it's important? Right. Uh, you know, why do you think it's important? Um, and so we, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to build in that sort of experience so people will understand and be able to see themselves, if not only in the player, but also in the other people in the world. Um, and be, because of this, uh, we, we want to make a measurable philosophical meter, I guess. And that's, uh, that's what we're using the tides for. It's essentially a physical and psychic force that allows us to track what the player says and what the player does uh, and sort of follow that throughout the game so that people will be able to react to the player's tides and the player's choices. Right. Uh, and then you know, we'll, we'll be able to have an accounting uh, of what the player has done throughout the game. The, the, the tides are essentially a measure of one's legacy. Uh, the, 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 the five different tides cover different aspects that uh, Adam, Colin, and I identified before the Kickstarter, we were talking about like what things are people known for, what things do do people uh, try to achieve with their with right. their work here on Earth, and um, and so the tides are our way of of both both trying to quantify that in ways to have an impact on the gameplay, but but more so to help direct both our direction with the story and and the player's journey through it. Um, as they explore legacy, right? So, so the, the the tides kind of replace an alignment system. Is that the idea? Yeah. Right, but the, and, the, and they're not. There's no good or evil right. within them. It's more. Um, they're more equal, I'd say. Yeah, we don't. Uh, you know, we don't want to say, okay, well, gold tide is always good, and therefore, you know, that is the that's the one that good people get. Um, we we don't want to make a value judgment as to. What is good or bad? This is something that the player is going to have to decide on his or her own. So, so for example, the, the good tide, is, the gold tide, is, as Colin mentioned, the good tide, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is um, well, well. That one, that that one is a is a primary example we use because it is kind of prone to be good, and sort of its default tends to be good things. It's it's concepts like sacrifice and empathy, um, but those those things don't always aren't always done for good reasons or have a, a good outcome in, in in our 21st century um um definition of good and and so we we explore that on on purpose at at times right like you know for instance uh you know you say okay well you know it's good to give money to homeless guys but it turns out you've just given money to the homeless guy and now he's gone off and you know built himself a drug empire Right. Because it turns out, you know, you gave money to the wrong homeless guy. Now it's a, it's not necessarily a good thing that you've done. Right. An- another aspect that's important about the tides is we don't care about the player's intent because we don't know what that is. Um, so we we set up the tides to respond to the actions and the results of the actions. Uh, so if the player 
um, and, and saying something can be an action. So it's, it's sort of like if, if someone were, if an independent observer, which you could think of the tides that way, uh, were to witness this event and its outcome, how would they then view the person who did it? Like what would they attribute to their legacy? Okay. So um, is this, uh, I mean, you've already spoke that, that, that throughout the game you'll be kind of judged on this. Is this something that's going to kind of, kind of all come back to you at the end? Like at the end you kind of, uh, you know, you, the summary of how you've um, kind of performed throughout the entire game based on the tides will affect kind of the final kind of, uh, I suppose, epilogue or the final kind of the ending, I suppose. Um, not sure how much I'm allowed to say that would <laughs> yeah, spoil I guess, or not. Yeah, I guess, yes. <laughs> it would be neat if we could do that. Right. Um, I, I think, I don't know that judge is exactly the right word. Okay. I mean, it can, in a way, okay. there's a judgment, but we, we don't want it to be, we, okay. we don't want to oppose our beliefs or opinions. We want it to be um, uh, sort of you know, more... Um, more an assessment, I guess I'd say. Okay. Um, so if I, if I ask something a little bit more specific then, um, like, for example, something I really liked uh, about... I'm not sure if the original Fallout had it, but Fallout 2 certainly had it, where at the end of the game, you kind of you kind of got this reel uh, of, like, this is all of the kind of outcomes of the major kind of decisions that you've made in the game, and you've got kind of these little stories about the, the people you'd affected and stuff. Uh, is there anything along those lines, or do you not want to comment on that? Yeah, yes, we're planning something like that. Okay, as well. And, and it's, but it won't just be about the tide. Some things are. We've, it starts with the situations. Like one of the things we've done, even in presenting the tides, is we don't usually write to them. Um, what I mean by that is you won't get to a point in a conversation and oh, there's one option for each of the tides. And we come up, we make sure we come up with one to, to cover them all. Uh, we write to the situations and then afterwards, um, assess how any of them would affect the tides. Um, that's the, that's where we start from. So that the situations themselves aren't contrived and your choices aren't contrived. We don't, we don't want, um, you to be, you know, dancing through hoops of, of how we've defined the tides. We want them to be more like independent observers. Um, and so, so yes, we do plan an epilogue in that, that it would be, it would be focused on the outcomes on the, of all of your choices throughout the game. Yeah. That was, uh, actually, that was one of our Kickstarter stretch goals, as I recall. We, uh, said that we would do an extended epilogue. Okay. So, so yes, we are, we are, we are planning to show, we're currently planning to show that. Okay. Um, so one one of the decisions that you you had to take at one point was um, how to represent the combat. That's a bit of a uh, a difficult question, given that the the combat in in Planescape Torment was uh, well, you know, I, I pers- personally I quite liked it, but it it's, uh, it certainly wasn't one of the big selling points of the game, I suppose. Uh, and in the end, based on a, a kind of vote of backers, you've you went with a, a turn based combat system. Um, how's that working out, and how confident are you in that decision? Right, so, so I guess to give a little a little history, because we still come across um, backers or others who are just realizing now that the game <laughs> is going to be turn-based. Yeah. Um, so back at the at the time of the Kickstarter, um, 
we didn't have a strong opinion about which way the combat should be. Uh, we knew some of the goals we had for combat. We didn't want to have a lot of filler content um, or trash mobs, as as they're called. Uh, we wanted right. to have more um, set-piece encounters and that were better tied to the narrative. And so we talked about our combat goals in a broad sense, but as you noted, we didn't... Like, we didn't see combat as the heart of Planescape Torment. Uh, it's not why people loved it. Um, it. It had a useful role in the game, and, and some certainly enjoyed it, but it wasn't um, one of the pillars of it. And so, so we, we, what we told the backers was, we're, here are our goals for combat. Um, we're going to um, be talking with you more about this and have an advisory vote uh, later in the project and, and decide then. And now over the, the months following that, as we developed um, more of our conversations and how we were approaching them and some of the gameplay systems, we acquired a preference for turn-based combat. We thought it would suit the goals we had for the game better. Um, and, and a part of that, too, frankly, was with, with the team we had, it felt like what we would be more successful at. And, and so there were a number of factors that pointed us towards turn-based combat. But here, you know, the first game was real-time with pause, and we, we had talked with the backers about about um, how we would have this, this advisory vote. And surely, like, if we were to find that 90% of the backers wanted real-time with pause, then, then we would find a way to make that work, right? I mean, it's, it's, we're making the game that, that they, um, they trusted us to make, and we don't want to, to disappoint them. Uh, so, so we we held the vote, and we but we told them we said you know we actually like here's what we see as the pros for each and the cons for each and and we're actually favoring turn based and this is why um, and and then um, it was it was a very close um, very close vote like statistically I'd say, I think it was it would it was a tie um, like forty eight percent to forty seven percent in favor of of turn based combat and we had about Maybe about fifteen, twenty percent of the of the backers um, did vote, and so some were upset that like uh, they felt that we sort of had rigged the vote. Um, but like it was never intended to be a democracy. It was intended to be like like what's best for the game. So so yeah. we we didn't have qualms about trying to like if we could persuade the backers to what we thought was best, then then um, the that seemed like the right thing to do because it, it was what we thought would make the best game. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'd say that we've been, uh, I'm very happy for that, that we made the decision we did. Um, right. in part, so, uh, as, as you probably know, we're, so we've licensed the Pillars of Eternity technology. Um, and, uh, the main parts of that that we were interested in were the conversation system, which we used as a starting place for our own, um, our own system, and the rendering for the, 2D backgrounds. Uh, and the gameplay aspects, we, we expected we would need to deviate from some, but it provided a good foundation for us. And, and I know they spent a lot of energy in getting, in getting their combat to, to feel the way they wanted. And, um, and there was a focus for them because the game, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fighting. It's a, it's a, you know, it's more of a Baldur's Gate 3 type experience um and so i think i i I think if we had gone that route uh you know we're we're based on a different um underlying role-playing system so we would have had to redo a lot of that work and it was a lot of effort on on their part and things that for us aren't what's key 
Um, whereas our effort into the what we're calling crises, which is our turn-based combat system, has been uh, focused on bringing more of the narrative into that and making the situations more than just combat. Uh, right. It's been much more consistent with with the core of the of the game. Okay. However, I, mean, I, would, I would like to point out that uh, that these crises are are big handcrafted set pieces. Um, there, there will be what we call tussles, which are smaller fights that are not as carefully planned out that you can totally fall into. So, you know, we do have our, our big, big combats, but then we've also got, you know, tussles that you can get just by pissing people off. But th- right. those are more like a, a um, almost a, almost a failure state. Not, not exactly, but, um, like you don't wander through an area that's a dungeon crawl and there's a whole bunch of these encounters. Um, right. they're more, um, there's a situation where where it, it doesn't make sense to prevent you from getting into a fight. Like we don't let you fight everyone, but there are times where where it feels off from a narrative perspective if if there is no um, you know uh, aggressive possibility. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess one of the, one of the reasons one of the uh, the kind of useful things I suppose about combat. In uh, in Planescape Torment was that it did kind of provide um, I suppose kind of a barrier to moving through the game too fast. Uh, in that if you did kind of skip ahead without uh, improving your character to a certain degree, then you'd run into difficulties. Uh, particularly some of the boss fights I remember being quite difficult in that game if you if you didn't kind of have uh, you know the right item equipment and and all the rest of it. Uh, are you still kind of using combat like that? And in some ways, though, the, so you, you do get experience points from combat, but you get experience points from lots of other things too. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and in cases where you're able to avoid crises, you're you're getting rewarded for you're getting rewarded for overcoming the challenges. Yeah. Um, so it's more as you progress through the game. So I think that um, that happens sort of with or without the combat part. Uh, really, the it's more of a of a pacing issue. Like the, yeah. the, there's a lot of a lot of reading and, and thinking and um, uh, that that we're expecting of the player. And I think we think you can only do that for so long. Like you need things to to, to break it up and, um, and 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 change how how the game feels. And, and so that's that's more the role of of the combats for our game. And you know, and also to pay off. All of the role-playing game decisions. There's there's some of that in conversations, like your choices in terms of your your skills, your your what your focus is, and the items you have. Those will have impacts on conversations, but the the easiest place to make those things matter is the combats. Um, so that's another big part they play is to reward the advancement that you have done. Yeah, but I not you know not everything you do in these combats is going to be sticking a sword in someone. Um, we are we're planning on. Having it be like you know you've got to fix an item you've got to got to build this machine you've got to do something to protect yourself against a alien bombardment something like that where it's not necessarily you're going in you know just toe to toe with somebody and swinging until one of you drops um, the 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 experience you get from this combat is not for killing someone but for overcoming the challenge yeah. 
So, um, obviously, uh, how you interact with the NPCs that can join your party, that was a big part of the old uh, Torment game. And presumably that's something that, you're, that you've kind of heavily looked into with, with this game as well. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We want, to, we want to make sure that our companions are memorable, lovable, uh, but also eminently hateable as well. Um, so we, we want, we want to build essentially, you know, strong human interactions between, between you and your party members in, in a way that makes them, I guess, memorable when you finish the game. So we can have people talking about who their favorite characters were afterward and they will be interested in discussing the, or exploring the stories, uh, that, that each of these characters brings to the party. Right. Can you reveal how many, how many there are in the game in total? Uh, eight. Okay, there's there's eight possible, and you can have three in your party at any one time. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Do they interact with each other as well at at intermittent moments? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We want to, uh, you know, some of them, some of them actually uh, kind of hate each other, and they are they are (laughs) built to hate each other, Uh, and they they will snipe at each other and interact with each other and. I don't want to spoil anything else. Right, yeah. So, but yeah, we, uh, I, we, they, they will be interacting with each other. It's not just that, you know, they chime into a conversation as a little color piece. Um, they, they actually have a full contribution to the party and to dialogues and interactions you have with other NPCs as well. Yeah. So you, much like, uh, much like, much like Dacon, uh, with the, with the Git Yankee. Uh, and I think it was the lower ward. Is it the lower ward? Clerk's ward? Whatever. The, uh, the, the Gith Yankee Fishers, uh, you know, he actually gets into a fight with them where right. you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have that situation if Dakon wasn't in your party. If you don't have him, yeah. Were, were you tempted at all to, um, to kind of have any cameos, uh, from the characters from Planescape Torment or was that kind of out of bounds due to licensing? Uh, from a from a personal standpoint, tempted, but from a legal and practical standpoint, <laughs> not as tempted. Right. Also, also, we think like we want to try to create the type of experience that Planescape Torment created for people, um, <clears throat> but we don't want it to be a series of in jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the the one of the other things about Torment was that you you kind of had the balance of this really weird. Um, almost kind of repulsive at times world. Um, but there was also this kind of element of comic relief, um, which I guess was kind of something that was a part of a lot of uh, Black Isle titles back in the day. Um, you know, the, the, the obvious uh, example was Mort, but I suppose like you did kind of get comic relief just if you kind of looked for it in the descriptions, you'd occasionally get, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a kind of a wink in the, um, in the narrative. Is that something you've gone for as well? Um, yeah, um, we, you know, I am, even, even in the, the darkest situations, people are still going to find a way to joke around. Um, so, you know, we wanted it, we want this to be true to human nature. Um, you know, I know that my own personal reaction to something scary is to make a joke out of it. (laughs) Um, and so some of our companions are going to be doing that as well. Um, we, we do want to be very careful that we're not, you know, turning this into just one big meta joke of, tee hee, isn't all of this very clever and funny? Um, no. because, you know, this is a torment game. This isn't a, you know, stand up comedy hour. Um, 
And the, the companions help us a lot with that in that they have they have different personalities. And, and this was true in Planescape Torment too. And so uh so there's some flexibility too for the player to kind of customize how you know how 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 uh how much comic relief there is. Right. Some of some of the companions are very serious and you know, demanding that you move forward in this very serious quest, whereas other ones are a little more, I guess, clueless or carefree. Yeah. It seems like um, you've you've sort of steered away from early access uh, with this game, um, and that's kind of interesting given that uh, in Exile's previous title, Wasteland Two, like um, Brian Fargo, really kind of went all out with early access on that. Um, what's kind of your thinking behind that? Uh, so early access is certainly is, is something that we're strongly considering for torment as well. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm not I'm I'm not sure what like, where was there how did where did you get the the impression from? Um, just kind of my my pre-interview research seemed to indicate that. Um, that, that early access wasn't going to happen with Torment. So uh, but, it, but it is something you're looking at, is it? Um, yeah, yeah it's, something we're, it's something we're looking at. I think that um, there were some interv- interviews that Colin did a couple months ago, and he was careful about some of those questions. Colin's okay. very much focused on the creative side, yeah. and 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 less so the you know the logistic side. And so he wasn't, you know, he didn't want to uh, to, to say something that he wasn't. Supposed to you or, or yeah, I tend to get a little exuberant. And I don't want to. <laughs> don't want to make promises that we can't back up. Okay. Um, so, so if something that we are considering, so we do have planned um, what we're calling alpha systems tests and also a beta test. Uh, so our alpha systems tests aren't, I think, what most people are used to from an alpha test. It's not just like here's the game at a very early stage. It's more here's a segment. Yeah. Of gameplay that might only be five minutes that yeah. focuses on a specific game system, uh, and to get feedback on that. Um, and those are things that, that, uh, those tests are some, are, some of our backers have access to that. And so we'll be looking to them. And, and our focus right now is on, on, on getting those things into backers' hands. And that will give us a lot of, of insight into what makes sense next. Right. Okay. One uh, of the, okay, go ahead. One of one of the big uh, advantages to the crowdfunding approach, as opposed to the old um, the developer publisher model, is that we have a lot of flexibility to change the plan to adapt as we go for what's best for the game. Um, so it's not like oh, there's this date and we have to deliver, you know, the, this you know this milestone. This beta test has to occur on this day. Uh, we we can um, we just uh, you know, we keep the backers informed about what's going on, and and we do what's best for the game, and and and, and uh, look at the the final outcome, and and less so what the intermediate goals. Yeah. I mean, how, how have you found the um, how have you found the community with it? Because obviously, there's been a few delays, uh, and it seems like people have been you know pretty cool with that uh, as long as you kind of uh, keep them informed. Is that is that your experience? Oh yeah, I think the the vast majority of backers just want the best game. Um, I mean, if you look at, and we're, and we're not in in uh, we're not the same type of company, uh, uh, but if you like, look at Blizzard, like no one complains about Blizzard games being late, 
right? right. Um, uh, and no one even they, they'll cancel things, but and and the public didn't know much about them in the first place. So people just figure, well, I guess they wasn't coming together. Um, what they know is that when they get a new Blizzard game, it's going to be great. Um, it's going to achieve what it was trying to. And and I think um, when you're looking at the the types of gamers who would crowdfund a project, they're uh, they're in it for that like that level of quality and uh, and it's not about it's obviously not about immediate gratification <laughs> um it it's about it's about in, you know investing in a future experience that that you want to have um i mean even during the kickstarter campaign so unfortunately once those the reward tiers once you set those for a kickstarter they're they're locked forever um so even during the campaign we said hey we raised more money than we targeted and so we're going to delay the game and it was important to us to get that message out during the campaign so if it really bothered anyone they could revoke their pledge and uh rescind their pledge and and um and that's better better for them and better better for us like we you know we we don't want to disappoint the people who are supporting us we want to exceed their expectations uh so so i i see it as a as a priority to um to be honestly communicating with them so that um so that they know what they're getting into. Like we, we want to make the game they want, and if we're, if we're not, then then I, you know, be, better that better that we not have their their yeah. support. Yeah, and it's a uh, one other thing that's important to us is communicating with people, but communicating properly. So you'll notice that we're not spamming people with a lot of a lot of Kickstarter updates. Um, but when we do put out an update, it's dense with information and it's the information that we want to put out because we don't want to, we don't want to overpromise to people, um, because that, that leads to a lot more disappointment. And I think people tend to really respect, uh, the fact that we are communicating with them and showing them that we are making really excellent forward progress, but at the same time, you know, not, not, we don't, I guess, uh, promising the moon. We don't try to hype them up, and it's probably been a, to our disadvantage in terms of in terms of raising money. Um, uh, but uh, but I think it's it's better for the long term relationship with our with our supporters. Um, though uh, though uh, though we're, we're going to we're going to be be violating that a, a little bit soon. We have the the Bard's Tale Four campaign this starting next <laughs> Tuesday, and and we can't help but but. Uh, um, but tell them about that. But 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 in general, uh, we we try to um, right, we try to communicate to the backers of the make those messages for them. Um, we want to make them count. Yeah, yeah. Though I mean, there's there's a balance. Like uh, we could do we could do more. We could do a better job. But but in the end, they want to play the game. They don't want to hear us talk. Um, and so so we emphasize most the game itself. But but we want to. Um, we want to to keep them in the loop and to and to to and and to get their you know in, in cases like with the alpha system test especially this will occur like to get their their ideas and input on things. Um, we have a, a a system on a, a forum on user voice which we set up even before the Kickstarter. We use this as a way to. Uh, get public response to what we plan for our Kickstarter tiers and our rewards to find out, make sure we were giving people the kinds of things they wanted. Um, and uh, we have we review those weekly, and and there's uh, like a, like a summary goes out to to the design leads about 
you know, the most, uh, the most recent notable things to look into. Um, and we, uh, you know, we respond in a, in a, in a somewhat passive way there in terms of like letting people know that we, at least that we, we saw their idea. And in some cases we're able to say, yes, we're planning to do that or no, we're not going to do that. And this is why. Um, and that type of communication, um, it, it doesn't take a, a, a lot of time away from developing the game, but lets people, uh, let people realize that we are listening. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the, the length of the game, I think someone said that it was a, around about the same length as Planescape Torment. Is that what you're sticking to with that? We, we think it will be similar. We're, we're not designing to a specific gameplay length in, right. any, in any sense. Um, and we don't have filler combat. And so our combat is yeah. a lot more dense um, and so that works against us in terms of gameplay length. Right. Um, there's a lot of energy that goes into every minute um, of gameplay. Uh, but but it should it should be it, it sh- we think it will be a comparable. Um, I guess it depends on the kind of playthrough that you're going through with. Uh, you know, what we're talking about with Planescape Torment. You know, are you going to be a hundred percent completionist? Well, in that case, I'm not sure that we're necessarily going to have the same kind of length because what we're going for is a depth and breadth of experience yeah. uh, so that we can have multiple replays and you won't have the same game. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of our content um, is dependent upon your choices such that, um, so that you can't, like you, you can't complete it all. Like you can't see it all the one time through because some of it becomes closed because you did something else. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, something I was just thinking about, actually, I'm, I'm sure that this has been discussed at some point, uh, but um, talking about the, the, the main character, uh, this, is a, this is a, you kind of are a consciousness that arises when um, this, this, uh, this character, the changing god, moves on to a new, a new body, that's right, isn't it? And yes. you kind of, your consciousness arises in that body. Uh, so does that mean that you will, uh, like, like in Planescape Torment, you will, um, kind of go around kind of discovering what things you've done or what things he's done in your kind of body throughout the life so far? Uh, yes. And you'll also be casting your consciousness into the bodies of other castoffs as well. Right. So you'll, you'll be not just uncovering his story, but also, uh, also, if I may be permitted stupid wordplay, you'll also be uncovering history as well. Okay. <laughs> right. So you're, you're kind of a special cast-off then, because the other cast-offs can't, they don't have this ability. Uh, they don't have this ability, but they have other special abilities of their own. Okay. Uh, but each of them is, each of them is personalized. But yeah, you are a, you are a special case. Okay, guys. Um, well, that's that's pretty much everything I've got, unless there's anything you specifically would like to talk about. Um, well, no, basically, I just want to uh, tell everybody who's reading or listening that we are working hard on this, and the people who have been playing it so far are you know, in-house are finding it uniformly cool and awesome, and we hope that you all will as well. <laughs>